All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. morning everybody welcome to another episode of drop in the gloves thank you for joining us here today on a beautiful wednesday morning january 25th it is 30 degrees outside the snow is coming here in traverse city and tim you're on the road where the where on earth is tim Wurzberger now how many podcasts have we done with me in a hotel room it i was just thinking all the that. time i was just thinking yeah. that yeah why are you always in a hotel room <laughs> Listeners, I do this for you. A lot of guys would take breaks, but I don't do that. I'm in Fairfax, Virginia, uh, for where my office HQ is, and we got a team meeting all day today. And I brought the stuff with me because I didn't want to skip a Wednesday. So here I am. We actually had the op- opportunity of getting a former NHL player to co-host, but I said, no bueno. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it, Tim. Because you know what would happen? They would be great. We would build a rapport. And then I would get that little bug in the back of my head saying, you know what? Tim's replaceable. And I don't want that to happen. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I, you're, thank you. you're welcome. So the drive was smooth. Everything's happy. How's the hotel room? La Quinta, I believe. Um, It's a Candlewood Suites. It's a suite because it's got like a, a legit kitchen in it, even though it's not nice. It's like still a motel room look and feel. But yeah, drive was nice. Uh, it took me about seven hours to get up here. Um I let Levi sleep on the bed, which I never do at home. It's like a treat for him when we when we travel. But he was so restless that like I, I was I thought it was morning because I had just been in such a long night of like just tossing and turning and waking up and him coughing. So I look at my my clock and it's like 1245 a.m. And I've been asleep for not even two hours. So I'm like, all right, Levi, you're on the ground. You're on the ground. I kicked him off and put a pillow down there. I'm like, that's yours now. So I'm a little bit oh, tired, but I'm back. Love. You're such a. You're such a tough love parent. Oh, listen to you. Oh, man, you're such a wow, Tim. Good for you. That's exciting. But how long are you in Fairfax for? Uh, just to tomorrow. Just a, It's really just a one day thing. I would have flown in, but um, I wanted to drive and take Levi with me. So that's nice. Good for you. Well, we're going to get into, a, I guess, part part two of the regrets podcast that we did last week things came up we had a couple interviews greg washinsky came in by the way we never recapped that one greg washinsky what'd you think about that tim yeah it was fine he's a nice guy um i don't think we covered a lot that you didn't cover the episode before on his show 
Um, but it was good to you got to control the conversation a little bit, which I thought was nice. And I don't know, did you what did you think of his answers? Expected uh, a couple questions I had to grill him because he was blatantly lying. You know what I mean? And, and I didn't outright say you're lying, but I said, that's not true. That's not what happened. So, <laughs> are you, you sure, know, Greg? <laughs> he's like, yeah, that's what I said. I'm like, are you sure that's what? Because he said, Be we honest. really, we really thought you were a great guy and you would respond well to this because you wore that one T-shirt that one time in San Jose. Then he goes, was that before or after? I'm like, so you're just making stuff up right now. But anyways, we got a nice little message from Mikey P on Instagram, and he said, I just wanted to let you know. I really appreciate everything. I listen to you guys all the time. And then his last part of the message, it was really nice. He goes, lastly, I couldn't stand listening to the latest interview with ESPN Greg on the All-Star happening. John, you are the best. You handled that so well, man. Thanks. Thanks, Mikey. That was very nice. The first part of the the message, he really, uh, it was very nice, too. He just uh, appreciates our podcast. But, yeah, it's always nice to get those positive messages. Do you see those, Tim, at all? Yeah, they come in quite a bit. So I don't I don't share them all with you, only the best ones. And I appreciate every one of them. They're very special. Uh, people need to start appreciating Tim a little more, maybe, though. You know <laughs> what do. I mean? I just they don't do. send those ones to you because I, I, I you wouldn't even those. respond anyway. Deirdre, she sends them all the time. But anyways, <laughs> I just wanted to mention one thing, too. Did you see, and I'm sure you did, the Milan Lucic Mathieu Olivier fight? That went down a couple days ago. We haven't had a chance to talk about it yet, but there's not many times I get excited for a fight. Usually fights these days, the guys drop the gloves, maybe one or two punches connect. This was a throwback to a different era, Tim, this fight. I absolutely love it. These two guys threw caution to the wind and they just went for it. And the one thing that I I knew Milan Lucic was tough. And mind you, Matthew Olivier, I don't know much about him. He's trying to carve a name for himself in the NHL right now as one of those, as a Milan Lucic type player. So he he wants to show up and, and you know, step up to Milan Lucic. And he did well. So I, I don't know how much, you know, kudos you can give to Lucic right now because he had two inches and 30 pounds on him, maybe two inches, 25 pounds. Lucic, in my eyes, is the best fighter right now at just coming straight down the pipe with his punches. I, I I watched this fight a few times, and I went back and I watched a couple other fights of other fighters, you know, the Reeves, the McDermott's, the Deloriers, the heavyweights in the league right now. Luch has the best start to finish of his punches. It just, he lets it go, and it goes right down the pipe, and it usually lands. He's very efficient with his punches, and he doesn't loop them. He doesn't mix words. He doesn't telegraph them. And he just sits there with his head cocked in a position where he's staring at you. He never looks away. He's locked in on his target. So as soon as he sees your shoulder move to throw a punch, he's beating you to the punch. No pun intended. He's a, he you The guy's a great fighter. He really, really is. And that... He took advantage of Olivier. Olivier wanted to show up and go toe-to-toe. He said, let's go. And halfway through the fight, Luch landed two bombs right on Olivier's cheek, and he's like, I can't do it anymore. I think he broke his orbital bone because Olivier didn't return to the game. I haven't heard any recent news out of Columbus of what happened to him, but he left the game after that fight. Those were absolute haymakers, and I I loved it. It was You don't see fights like that, especially in the NHL anymore. Maybe the odd one in the AHL. 
you catch one here and there. But Tim, that was it was the best fight I've seen in years, don't you think? And it was it wasn't a long fight. The punches were flying for probably 15, 20 seconds. Every punch landed almost right on the button for both guys because Luch eats them. The guy eats punches for breakfast, and he's still firing away. I, I thought it was a tremendous fight. Absolutely. I loved it. Kudos to both men. What did you think of it? Too much violence yeah. for you? Get fighting out of the game? <laughs> yeah, to cover my eyes. No, I, I see. I saw it uh, when it happened, the night it happened, I think two nights ago, and I didn't really think anything of it at the time. And then when you started talking about it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back and watch that again. And yeah, you're right. It is it is a rare fight where you see guys connect like that and go toe-to-toe and don't try to dip and dodge and, and use all the little the, the tips and tricks that the fighters have these days. So two guys just swinging and the first one goes down is obviously Olivier. And I think you're right. I think something is broken or popped or something because because he stands he stands for a good 10 seconds at the end with neither guy throwing punches and the ref's not because you, you can see his brain like okay do we keep this going or not the refs aren't stepping in to break it up yet he's just he's in a he's in a fight or flight mode he's like yeah i can't i can't do this right now something's not right and so he's covered in he's covered in blood in the on the penalty box he didn't come back like he said that's the kind of thing like when you when you get nervous for fights and you get nervous the day before fighting a, a Paros or a Jansen, like that is the thing you get nervous about, right? Like eating punches in that way and breaking something in that way. Is that what you get nervous never, for? You never get nervous about breaking a bone. You get nervous about losing the fight and embarrassing yourself, but you never think about the consequences. I think if you focused on that, you would never be successful. Todd Fedorik talked about this where after he got his face crushed by Bugard, it was a long road back for him to just mentally trust his face again, because you get the, you get the reconstruction on your face. I don't know if he had some kind of plate put on, but it's not the same anymore. And so he said, physically, I was fine, but mentally it was a long road back and all fighters go through that. Whether you break your hand, whether you break your nose or your cheekbone or whatever. I know when I broke my nose, I was a little gun shy. And then lo and behold, those thoughts were true because I broke my nose right away as soon as I got like a guy breathed on it and it just cracked again. So no, it was, it was a great fight. Good on Luch for not finishing Olivier off. He could have really teed off on him right at the end there, but he just, he knew something was wrong. He was staring at him and Luch is an honorable fighter. I, I think he does things the right way, but uh, it was just a heck of a fight. It reminded me of when I fought Westgarth, when I had him up against the glass and I could have just like mashed potatoes, his face even more, but I didn't. Because you just have a little respect there. And Olivier, I like the way the kid plays the game. I really do. He was giving up weight. He was giving up some inches. Kid stood in there, Tim. You got to commend him that. And don't look now. Calgary Flames. They're looking pretty pretty solid. They're starting to win some games. They're back in a playoff position. They slipped out just for a hot second. I know they're still a second in the wild card, Tim. But I, I like the way that they're starting to play a little bit. They're on a little bit of a winning streak here. They've won two in a row. They're five, three, and two in their last 10. I don't know. Could this be a catalyst for them kind of jumping up into the top three in the Pacific, playing well down the home stretch, carrying this on into the playoffs? I don't know, Tim. I don't know. Let's just talk about that. The two teams in wildcard. We're going off agenda here. I know we're supposed to do regrets. Edmonton, Calgary are the two teams in the wildcard position right now. Which team is more dangerous in the playoffs this year, as it stands right now? It has to be Edmonton. I mean, 
I, I think if you compare Edmonton to some of the, the elite top top tier teams in the league, there's a lot of gaps you can point out. But when you look at Edmonton against a lot most of the teams in the league, you have one or two guys that can just take over games and take over series, especially in the early rounds. I think Edmonton could uh Connor McDavid could win you a series by himself. And I don't think Calgary has anybody like that. And so as it go as it goes deeper into the playoffs, I think that that becomes a little bit less valuable. It's more about that third, fourth line of guys that can chip in and do everything, but like we saw with Tampa. Um but I think right now Edmonton's the more dangerous team. The funny thing now in the Western Conference, I know Dallas has been playing great. Winnipeg's been fantastic. Vegas has had a great story this season. Mark Stone being out is, I think, going to end their chances of a Stanley Cup. The three teams that I feel are the most dangerous in the Western Conference are seeded 6, 7, and 8. Edmonton, Colorado, Calgary. I think one of those three teams is going to come out of the West. So it's just funny how the standings line up right now. I, I don't think it'll stay that way until the end of the season. I think those three teams will get their act together, you know, when the when the rubber hits the road and you know the games start four point games, we gotta we gotta really show up. I think those three teams will start to matriculate up the standings and take out Seattle, take out LA, take out Vegas, take out Winnipeg, and by the end of the year, I think Dallas will remain. I think they're a dangerous team, but yeah. I don't well, know. For some reason, I can't jump. One week, I'm like Dallas all in. And next week, I'm like, gosh, I just don't trust them. Even if they don't jump the standings, you, even if it stays the way it is right now, I still like those teams as the, as the mm-hmm. quote unquote, the underdogs in the first round, the second round. And so, yeah, I think among those first five teams, Dallas, Winnipeg, Vegas, L.A., Seattle, I think Dallas is the only legit threat, maybe Vegas. But I think, like you said, Mark Stone thing does make me a little bit nervous now that the more I think about it. So I think it's, it's, yeah, it's Colorado. It's Edmonton. I don't, I'm not worried about Calgary. That's not a team that scares me. I think it's Edmonton, Colorado, Dallas are my teams in the West. Honestly though, how can you not be worried about a Calgary Flames team? What don't you like about this team? Well, what is there to be worried about? Their goal has been one of the most streakiest in the entire league, their best players, I think, are are not playing like their best players. They have a pretty good defense, but they have it hasn't been worked for them all season long. And they squeaking into the last wild card spot is not where they should be right now. So yeah, it's not a team that 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 worries me. They, I agree, they haven't played well to date. But when you look at their roster, top to bottom, they're right there with the best teams in the West, top to bottom. I know their first line isn't as dangerous as a Colorado Avalanche or an Edmonton Oilers or a Dallas Stars. But I just think top to bottom, and then you take into account that defense. The defense is very, very strong with Hannafin, Anderson, Uyghur, Tanev, Zadorov, Stone. It's it's a good defense. And I truly believe Markstrom will figure it out. He has to. He is too good of a goaltender. He's proven it for too long of a sample size to let this you know linger on into the playoffs. So if they get in, they're my pick in the West right now. I think they're just a good team. They're strong down the middle. Lindholm, Kadri, Backlund, Trevor Lewis. I like that. Huberto will figure it out. He's still working out his kinks. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe they don't have the high-end talent that you need in the playoffs when you got to have that clutch goal and you say, all right, go get it. Go get it, McKinnon. Go get it, Rantanen. Go get it, Landeskog. Is, is Toffoli that guy? He did it when he was in L.A., but he had a big, big supporting cast that he wasn't the guy to shoulder the load. He had a Richards. He had uh, who else did they have? 
all those big guys, Carter, they had studs, Kopitar. I don't know, Tim, I'm not going to write off Calgary. They're my number one right now. I don't know. I'm still humping these guys. I don't know how you can say they're your number one. It's yeah, whatever. We Colorado's injured. Colorado's got injuries. And I, I, I don't want to spend too much more time. And Scott could come back. Even if all of those guys come back, they're a different team. I think, I think Cal- Calgary has a lot more depth. I like Calgary's defense more than Colorado's, even though they have Taze, even though they have McCarr. And then Edmonton, everybody knows what's wrong with Edmonton. <laughs> they got a garbage defense. Their goaltenders have huge question marks all over them. Even with the Stuart Skinner playing really good. I don't trust those guys as far as I can throw them when I got bad shoulders. And they got one good line. If they split up the two studs, they have two. In the playoffs, you have two weeks to game plan. You don't think a team's going to figure out how to shut down those guys, even just a little bit. I said it last year. If you limit McDavid and Dreinsign to three points a game each, you'll win that series. And that's what happened. Those guys had great playoffs. They lost because they don't have anything behind them. So that's all. I don't know. Just the uh, West is interesting. A quick word on the West too. Vancouver won its first game under Tockett last night, five to two against the Blackhawks. He did get a lot of booze, a lot of booze from the. He fans. drank a lot I, of booze. <laughs> I saw a a good analysis on Twitter, a good analogy that was like, it's like your parents split up and your mom's new boyfriend moves into the house and you're upset because you miss your dad. That's what the Vancouver fans are feeling right now. I think it's a pretty good. It's pretty spot on. Um, another crazy little stat, Elias Patterson on pace for a hundred plus points this year. He doesn't have a single power play goal. Isn't that crazy? Wow. That is crazy. If that, if that's set up, I'm sure it won't. I can't, but still crazy. If he ends the year with a hundred points and like three power play goals, it's, that's still pretty crazy. I believe it. He's not the trigger man on that power play. It's Brock no. Besser. It's JT Miller. There's shooters on that power play and Patterson just racks up racks up the assist. Bo Horvat's putting in a ton of goals. Kuzmenko looked really good last night, too. I think he potted two, maybe had three points, but... All right, are we are we ready to say the Vancouver Canucks are a contender now, Tim? Is this it? Rick Tockett? <laughs> yeah. no. Figured it out? No, no, no. Nope. Who who did they beat? Blackhawks. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's pump the brakes a little bit there. The Blackhawks are going for an absolute epic worst season ever in the NHL. Speaking of worst, from worst to best, the Bruins are slowly tiptoeing to that conversation of will this be the most successful regular season team of all time, Tim? These guys have only lost five games all year. Is this the season that they break the record of whoever holds the record, the Montreal Canadians back in 1910 or the modern day record that the Bruins are are marching towards Will they even lose 10 regulation games, Tim? Uh, uh, They've only lost five. They've only lost five. And they played 47. I don't know the exact number, but just just approximating. I think like only five of their next 20 games are at home. Something like that. Maybe less. Um, So they will be on the road quite a bit, which does change things a little bit. I think you're also going to see them start to rest guys. Especially mm-hmm. like a Bergeron, like a Krejci. I don't think Marshawn will, will quite need that, but you get ready for the playoffs. And so I think they'll start to slow down a little bit. And I think even if they do that, they're still going to be better than 25 teams, even without the guys on their the top guys in that roster. So they'll be fine. And they are on pace to beat. It's the, it's the 94, 95, I believe, Red Wings that have 61 wins um, and like 100 30 points and they're on pace for 67 and 139 something like that so it's it's pretty special 
how how many are they on pace for? I think 67, but they won again last night. So I don't know if that bumps it up to 68 or not. I'm not sure. Yeah. That's incredible. That's unbelievable. Yeah, they're nine and one in their last 10. They've lost, they've lost one game in regulation at home. One. Parsonak had another four points last night. Oh, they just keep doing it. It's gosh. crazy. You think somebody would figure out this team by now, but they just can't do it. They they're your Stanley Cup favorites right now. They're not mine. I don't know what it is. I I, I just can't get behind them. I can't do it. If, if they play Carolina first round, taking Carolina. I know I they're saw, not going to play first round, but. Ugh. I saw Vegas odds yesterday. Carolina was still number one. Really? To, to win the Stanley Cup. Yep. Bruins are second. It was like like 13% to 10%, something like that. Seth Jarvis, friend of the show. He's He's really coming back slow. He, he didn't get shot out of a cannon after his injury. I want to I want to text him and be like, where's all the goals, Seth? Come on, pick it up here. All right. Let's move on, Tip. We did the first part of this series week ago, week and a half ago. Now we're going to wrap it up. Regrets. Everybody has regrets in their life. Nobody's perfect. You know, there's things we'd like to do differently. And we're going to start again. Last uh, week, we did the Atlantic. And we did the Metropolitan Division. Correct. This week we do this week we're doing the Central and the Pacific. Lots of regrets in this conference. I'm telling you what. This if there's a tap in division conference, this'll be it because these teams, yeah, there's really low-hanging fruit when it comes to these teams for regrets. They've got some bad GMs in the West. There's some bad contracts. So a lot of them are glaring. And I will we'll breeze past those. But we're gonna get started with you, Tim. You're doing the central. What is a big regret for a team in the Central Division? Yeah, I'll start with some easy ones. Some of these are quicker than others. Some of them have a little bit more depth to them. But uh, the Minnesota Wild, I think the big, the big giant 11-year-sized elephant in the room is the Suter and Parise contracts. Um, I, I, not that they were never good or they never lived up to any any part of the contract. I think Suter at his peak was a top 10, maybe higher defenseman in the league. He was really good. And Parise was coming up an incredible year with the Devils. And so you, you kind of think they're going to live up to some degree of that. And they really didn't. And then the problem is it's, it's just whatever production they had, it was never really worth all the money that they made. And now that with the buyouts, which I'm sure they never saw coming, it's going to handcuff this team, I think like 12 million next year against the cap and maybe eight or 12 the year after that. Like it's still biting them in the ass. So that Parise's career point high with Minnesota was 62, 62 points, making $11 million. It's just no good. So that's, that's definitely a number one regret for them. Yeah, that you can't really... That's such a, those are bad contracts. And everybody was so excited in Minnesota. They signed on the same day, same number, same line. I remember same that everything. day. Oh, yeah. Everybody was shocked. Like you got Parisi and Suter. Oh man, playing the parade. Fast forward to now. It's like, oh, what a terrible decision for you. It's just funny how things change season to season. I'm going to start with the Vegas Golden Knights. Much in the same vein of bad contracts. I'm just going to go with bad management. George, George McPhee. Had a great first year with the Vegas Golden Knights, nailed the expansion draft, took everyone by surprise, instant contenders. Fast forward to now, the team is in somewhat of a shambles. He has jettisoned players for nothing. 
He has severely damaged the reputation of this team to all players throughout the league, just how he's treated players. He's been forced to trade players for absolutely nothing. Nothing just to get rid of their contracts. Good players, valuable players who are still in their prime. He's forced to just ship them off. He was forced to acquire players who were on LTIR just to help out the salary cap situation. And they're still not out of the weeds when it comes to salary cap. And George McPhee has taken a position of strength after his first year, a position where he said, okay, I can, I can still make a difference. I can sign guys. I can trade guys. And he's just turned it into a massive weakness. Now where teams see the golden Knights and they say, we can take advantage of this team because they have terrible salary cap situation. They don't know what they're going to do. Let's take advantage of this team. Get people they've traded away for absolutely nothing. Max Pacioretty for absolutely nothing. You have Genny Dadanoff for absolutely nothing. Marc-Andre Fleury for absolutely nothing. Um, And I'm sure there's a few more, Tim, but I can't think of it right now. Nate Schmidt for absolutely nothing. So this this guy has just jettisoned off talent. Big trade to acquire Jack Eichel. Gives up first rounders. Gives up Alex Tuck, Peyton Krebs, second rounders. Jack Eichel, eh. Or would you rather have Alex Tuck, Peyton Krebs, and a first overall pick that ended up being the 16th overall? First round pick, excuse me. I just think from five years ago to now, the Vegas Golden Knights franchise has completely flip-flopped. They were the the bell of the ball when they came out. Everybody was rooting for them. Now everybody hates this team. How they treated uh, their goalies, Marc-Andre Fleury, Robin Lehner. It just, it's it's a messy situation, and it happened very, very quickly. So the regret is just George McPhee and how he manages franchise. Yep, and then their long term in their long term injury reserves. They got Weber on it. They got Lanner on it. They got White Cloud on it. They got Nolan Patrick on it. They got almost seventeen million dollars in LTIR. That's not to mention they're probably going to throw Shea Theodore on there to add another five million. It's just a mess. The salary cap situation. Tip. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, this will be a short one. But the Predators, I think they would like to take back the Weber Subban trade. And this is not a knock on oh. Subban. <laughs> Um, he had a pretty good season. I think he made the all-star twice with Nashville. He had one excellent season and then like he was pretty good every year he was there, but Weber was the better player. It was a strange move at the time. They don't have a lot of glaring mistakes, but I think that's one that they'd like to take back. That's interesting. I don't know if I agree with that one. I don't know. That's, that's an interesting one. Well, think about what, like what Weber was doing as recently as two years ago in that run with Montreal where Subban even though he's much younger, like fizzled out of the league at the same time that Weber was doing that. You know what I mean? Like they, it's, this is not a knock on Subban and it's close, but I think Weber would have been a better place. He was their captain, you know? So, and they haven't done anything since. I think they just needed, they needed something different because they had kind of had that lineup for a long time and they had good defensemen. They had Ellis, they had Suter, they had Weber. They had at home uh, was there like they had a very good defense and it just wasn't working. They would always get to the Western Conference, you know, finals or semifinals and they'd lose. So it was just a change of senior at that time. P.K. Subban was a legit all star. He was a stud in his first year. National, he played very, very good. But yeah, a long term, it didn't work out. P.K. really did fizzle. But OK, interesting. I'm going to go right now. Gosh, should I do the low hanging fruit? The San Jose Sharks. Let's just take the low-hanging fruit. What do you choose from here with the San Jose Sharks? There's so much to just not like about this franchise. Is it the terrible Eric Carlson contract? 
Is it the Albatross Mark Edward Vlasic contract? Is it the fact that we had to trade away Brent Burns for absolutely nothing and we're still eating almost $3 million of his salary just to get him out of the off the books? And he's an all-star caliber defenseman who's very, very good. If we had to buy out Martin Jones, who, by the way, is having a great season right now and we're still paying him for the next five years. I think it's a, it's a combination of all of them, much like George McPhee. This team is just mismanaged. And I I I don't really fault them for it because you got to go for it when you got to go for it. But then to double down when you can see the window has absolutely closed. The window is shut, right? This team isn't going to compete. And you still sign Thomas Hurdle and Logan Couture to long-term contracts for $8 million and $8.1375 million for eight years. And it just handcuffs your team for another six years. No reason to do that. So in my opinion, again, it's Doug Wilson. It's Mike Greer. Obviously, he didn't have a play a part in any of this. The ownership group, they've just ruined this once competitive storied franchise who was just a Stanley Cup threat every single year for a good decade, Tim. And now they're the next 10 years, this team's going to be in it. I don't I don't see a way out of this. So mismanagement of just sloppy contracts. Just for the sake of maybe, maybe making the playoffs. I, I don't understand that. That's 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 the one thing. I maybe the GM's trying to save his job. He's trying to extend his stay in San Jose, but you got to read the writing on the wall. This team is not a competitive team. And you go out and you hand two eight million dollar contracts to guys, and eh, I don't know. That that's that's my regret. Handing out just bad contracts. When you look at the teams who are good, they don't have these bad contracts. San Jose has one, two, three, four five and the dead money that they carry it's insane like it's a lot of dead money that they're carrying year to year five six it's not minnesota wild big but it's still five six million dollars for the next three years so it's just mismanagement really really bad mismanagement here in the western conference so that's that's their regret yeah, they they have plenty. This next one is is, mm-hmm. is uh, pretty straightforward, I think. But this is for the St. Louis Blues. Is that off season of letting Petrangelo go, bringing in Tory Krug, and this is not a knock on Krug necessarily. He's been solid, and the points have actually been there when he's been on the ice. He's missed a lot of time due to injuries, but he's probably averaged fifty plus points in an eighty two game pace since joining the Blues three years ago. So, which is what you expect from him. He's going to be maybe second pairing guy, but first power play unit, putting up points. He'll be solid, but. Petrangelo is still, even at his age, one of the, the top premier defensemen in the league still. And he does the defensive side of the ice way better. He was a captain for this team. I think I, I don't know what they were thinking at the time. I think the idea was to get a little bit younger um, and, and move on from the leadership group, let the other guys flourish. And I, I guess I can wrap my head around that, but it hasn't worked out the way they hoped. So I think that was a mistake for them. Yeah, I'm going to stay in California and go with the Anaheim Ducks. Pat Verbeek came in. And again, I I don't think there's much wrong with this team. I don't mind what he's done. I think the big mistake that he did this offseason was let Sonny Milano go. Sonny Milano's a good player. He was playing hardball with them. He wanted to keep him around, but he wasn't sure about the number. And just let him walk. Now Sonny Milano's in Washington. He's having a pretty good season, and he would fit this team nicely. With all their young talent, they're not going to be competitive. I get it. But this guy wasn't making much. You sign him for eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollars, maybe give him a million dollars. 
Tim, he's got 21 points, 37 games this year. He's not a bad player. And like I, I like what Pat Verbeek has done. He's not overextending contracts. He knows where his team is at. They're not going to win the Stanley Cup anytime soon. So he's just saying, you know what? We're going to develop our players. Sonny Milano was a player who I, I think would fit in nicely next to Troy Terry, Isaac Lundstrom, those types of players. But he just jettisoned him. I don't know if there was some personal issues there. He didn't really like the way, the cut of his jib, you know what I mean? But I think where this team stands now, they're going to be competitive in three, four years. Sonny Milano, I believe, is 24, 25. It would have been a nice piece to just keep in for a low amount and just let him go. So that, hey, I don't mind Anaheim where they sit right now. I know they're at the bottom of the standings, but much like Chicago, much like Arizona, they know where they're at. They have a lot of money and cap space to spend. They have some draft picks coming up. They got three second rounders next year. They will get better. So I, I don't mind their situation, even though they're in the bottom of the standings, because Pat for beat gets it. He's like, we're bad, but we won't be bad forever. They don't have any really glaringly bad contracts on the books. They have their draft picks and they'll be fine. So I, I just think letting Sonny Milano go was a was not very smart by him. There we go. Yeah, or not trading Gibson when he was uh, at the top of his game too. I think that's something that they'd like to take back because he's not he's not there anymore. Um, I think another one here, <clears throat> the Winnipeg Jets, and this we talked about how good they were, how strong their defense was, you know, four or five years ago. My big regret for them is that they never really went all in, and I'll get more specific. In the 2017-2018 year, this is when they had 50-plus wins. This is when Blake Wheeler put up 91 points. This is when um, Patrick Laine had 44 goals. You have 21-year-old Kyle Connor with 31 goals. They were very, very, very good. Connor Hellebuck, 44 and 11 on the year. And who do they add at the trade deadline? Paul Stasny. Paul Stasny, good center. Good, you know, third line center, maybe kill some penalties, you know, pop up the leadership, everything like that. But like, this is the team that should have gone all in at the deadline. Go get this piece, go get that piece, add more depth, add more scoring, add more defense. And they didn't do it. And and when they had their chance, when their window was wide open, they never capitalized on it. So I think I would have liked to see them go back and, and do that differently um, because they they had a real chance and they didn't really do their best to to win a cup. Hey, that is a good one. That's the best one so far. You, yeah, that's the best one. You, you are doing better than I. Am. All right, I'm gonna go to the Edmonton Oilers. Oh, how much time but, do we have? <laughs> well, low hanging fruit, right? And, and well, what do you choose from? Because they did have a good off season this year, but there was blunders in previous years. I think one regret is not trading the Nuge. I think they should have gotten rid of him. And this is obviously my opinion. I think you get rid of him, you revamp your team, and you bring in some deeper players. But I think the biggest thing right now for this team, everybody knows their salary cap situation. Everybody knows they're, they they need depth. They have holes all over the roster. Is it the Jack Campbell contract? That's That's a big one. I think it's the Darnell Nurse contract, Tim. When you look at the around the league, the players who make $9 million plus, and we've already talked about this, it's the Foxes, it's the Macars, it's the Yossis, it's the high-end talent that you know you can lock them in, and you're going to get 70 points out of these guys, and they're just electric. They're fun to watch. Darnell Nurse this year might get, might get 40 points, maybe. Last year, we got 35. Like his high watermark in a season is 41. 
This guy's making nine, almost nine and a half million dollars. That's a problem. And he signed for another seven years, Tim. You can't have it. You can't build your defense around this guy who's making $9.25 million, who doesn't, like, he <laughs> He can't power play the first power play unit. Like, I know he's got a decent shot and some decent, you know, vision, but he's he's not that guy. He's not that guy. He's not a Dougie Hamilton. So that, that, to me, was just a huge swing and a miss for this franchise where they had an opportunity, worse than the Jack Campbell signing, worse than all these other signings, the Mike Smith, couple years ago, the James Neal buyout, the Milan Lucic dead cap space, all this stuff. It's the Darnell Nurse contract. When you look at their defense, he's the one. It starts and ends with him. And if he's your number 1A, it's not good. It's not not good at all, Edmonton Oilers. So out of the plethora of regrets that the Edmonton Oilers have, for me, it's the Darnell Nurse contract, hands down. I'm going to go through a couple here because uh, I got to hit the road. So uh, the Coyotes, um, I think there's a lot you can unpack here. And I, and I'm not down, as down on them as you are. I think they are building something. I think they have a lot of young, good players that are going to come up and, and come into their prime age at the same time if they can keep them all. And so I think the the big regret for them, and this is more regret from the outside perspective, is not relocating. What are you doing in Arizona still? It's not working. And I think I was thinking about this this morning Going back and and whatever we, information we can find, what does Bettman see in in Arizona that he didn't see in Atlanta, for example? How different are the numbers? Are they that much more of a profitable like franchise than than not seeing all? It's just I love to dive into that. So that's one. Another quick one: uh, the Blackhawks not starting the rebuild sooner. I, I don't know what they were waiting for, and, and so now they're in this position where they're going to be really bad. Hopefully, they get Bedard, but if they don't. You're, if you don't get Bedard, you're five years away from, from figuring out even who you are, let alone being a competitive team. And so, and then on the flip side of that is getting more. They have not done a very good job of getting enough trade assets. And so you got Panarin, you let him go for Brandon Saad. Look at Panarin now. You got Doc, you got for basically nothing. it for basically nothing. They have not done a good job, and it makes me nervous of what they're going to do for for Kane and Taze. I don't, I don't really yeah. trust that management group. Kubelik Strom just walked yeah. away. Nothing. Yeah, and then and then one more quick one before I get to my last one. Uh, the Avalanche. This is this is going to feel like a gimme, a little bit of a a safety play, but they don't really have any. Honestly, I went back and forth on this. I I really dug in. They've kind of done everything right. They've made good signings. They've hit on all their top draft picks. They've they've locked up their guys to good deals. Nathan McKinnon was putting up a hundred points with like a five ish million dollar contract. Like they have done just about everything right. Obviously, just won the cup. Kale McCarr, remember that that clip from a couple months ago when they drafted him and McKinnon was like, who is this guy out of UMass? Why would we reach for him? I think it was eighth overall when there were other good players that were available, and they they nailed it. Sackick's done a good job with this team. So if there's a team that doesn't have any regrets, it might be them. If you have any Avalanche fans listening and I'm missing something, please tweet at me. But that was I, – I couldn't come up with anything for them. Yeah, good teams usually don't have many, many regrets. All right, I'll wrap up really quickly, Tim. I know, I know you got to go to work. You got to go. Um, Calgary Flames, I think the biggest regret now is just the, the trade situation this summer. They tried to make, you know, chicken salad out of chicken. Beep, boop. It just didn't work. Huberto isn't really fitting. Kadri isn't, you know, the guy they wanted them to be. We'll see how it all ends up. It's still early, but I think that one was a franchise-altering trade slash free agent signing. It's not looking too good right now for that franchise. Compared to last year in Vancouver, eh, 
everything him <laughs> everything. <laughs> just points generally in their direction just everything yes. in vancouver they regret but anyways everybody wait 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 I'd, i got one more oh, go ahead go ahead i didn't do the stars the dallas stars mm. uh, this is another tough one they have they've done a lot of things right they've done a lot of things wrong for me, the thing that stands out is the Tyler Sagan contract. And so when he got traded, he was really good the first couple of years in Dallas. He had a 40-goal season, 78 points, like really, really good. Then he signed an eight-year, $9.85 million. And he's had 132 points in 198 games since. I know he's got a lot of injuries, but he hasn't really scored a lot of goals since either. I think he's at the most was in his 20s, 25, 27, something like that. And he's still in the contract for four more years. His body is a mess. He played 81 games last year and didn't have that many points. So this is, I, I hope he has, he comes back and goes back to his former self. I don't really see it. But I think that's another one where that's a lot of money tied up to a guy that's a good player that's helping your team, but not worth that amount of money. Agreed. All right, everybody. I hope you guys enjoyed. We'll be back with you on Friday. Who knows where Tim will be? I know where I'll be. I'll be right here talking to you guys. Thank you for listening. We'll see you then. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. 